When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. Just like your family treats you, find your health family at NorthMemorial.com slash family. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. <laughs> It's Purple Daily. Well, they're very aggressive up up front. Uh, you know, Graham and Cox, uh, they're very physical guys on, on our right side. Uh, they do a nice job with uh, um, Jenkins, who gets in the boxes a lot and makes a lot of plays. Uh, they're running some couple different coverages now. But, uh, um, you know, and they're mixing, mixing up the fronts a little bit more than they have in the past. They've got, um, you know, a few more line stunts that, that they've been doing. Ah, line stunts. That's where we'll start today. Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels here for the first hour. Big show today in the second hour with Mike Sando, now of The Athletic, longtime ESPN guy, and from Pro Football Focus, George Shahuri. We'll talk about who is real and who is fake in the NFL, but let's uh, get right into it. Sage Rosenfels with the Philadelphia Eagles defense. Um, are they good when they can get after the passer and they can stop the run, but they can't cover anyone in the secondary. Like, can you still be good that way? It's harder to be. You know, the Patriots did that for a number of years where they would be really, really good up front with their front seven. You know, usually had maybe a safety that was pretty good, uh, but they would be weak at the corner spot. Right, Troy us. Brown was playing corner for them once. Yeah, he was right. A receiver. I mean, so, so they'd be weaker at that corner spot, and, and but they thought, you know, if we can get – in third and long situations by stopping the run. That, and then we have some pretty good pass rush. Of course, this is back in the days of like Vrabel and McGinnis and, and those types of guys that you don't need to have uh, or spend money on uh, a secondary or, or that corner position. But they have changed a little bit because they've definitely, in the, the years, in the, in the past few years, have gone out and spent a ton of money uh, on, it's, it was a Stephen Gilmore now makes a lot. And then there's, uh, I'm tr- trying to think of the... McCourty. Both? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a heck of a player. Multiple McCordys. Uh, but but uh, in the past, they haven't. Uh, they used to not spend money. Now they do. So uh, I, I'm all about stop. I'm, I'm a lines guy. I don't know. Maybe it's my Iowa State thing and the fact that I basically <laughs> hand the ball off through most of my college career. But <laughs> and you watch like the University of Wisconsin. I mean, that type of thing. But if you just dominate the lines, 
you know, uh, usually the, the rest of the stuff sort of takes care of itself or, or balances things out. So, I, I, yeah, I'd much rather have a better front seven than a, than a really, really good back end, but you can't stop the run. So there's two kind of different philosophies that defenses take today, which one is kind of like the Mike Zimmer where everyone's in the right spot all the time and a lot of completions go for short yards because his guys are there to make the tackles. So if you look at... You know, someone like Mike Hughes, he's allowing a high completion percentage into his coverage overall, but not very many yards into his coverage. And for the nickel corners for Mackenzie Alexander, Captain Munnerland before him, it was often that way. Whereas, like, you could complete passes against Zimmer's defense, but you're not getting very many yards. In fact, right now, the Vikings best in the NFL in terms of yards per completion. So they're not giving up a lot of big plays and things like that. We have a very good tackling secondary. A lot of times, if you go think of the past, when there was like, you know, the man-to-man corners, you know, I mean, I was like Dion Sanders was mm-hmm. one of the original just sort of all over the place. But they, they always ended up being, you know, known as bad tacklers or somebody that doesn't want to get, get involved in there. And, and they, they sort of do the ole type of tackle uh, because their job is just to cover people man-to-man. But these guys, I mean, I mean, Rhodes is a good tackler for the most part. Yeah. Uh, and, and Wayne's, I think, is a, is a good tackler for, for not a huge guy. And I like how Mike Hughes comes up and wraps people up and, and gets involved. And obviously Mackenzie Alexander is sort of that slot guy. He's involved in a lot of times in those bubbles and wide receiver screens. And, and he gets in there. And, and part of the run game, too, he gets in there. So I love the way our man-to-man corners tackle. But the other way to do it other than you know you're in position all the time like you said you've got great tacklers and things like that is to take more risks and try to get turnovers so looking at the vikings last year they were 18th in terms of turnover percentage as a defense so even though they were top five in yards allowed they were only as good as new york and atlanta last year at getting the other team to turn the ball over and things are not super different this year daniel jones throws an interception at the very end of the game but you don't see the vikings picking off a ton of passes taking a ton of risks trying to jump balls and also you don't see them giving up a lot of big plays either i think philadelphia is probably on the other side of that where they want to get picks they want to take a little more risks and and utilize what their defensive line can do for them, creating the pressure. And that, to me, Sage, is what this comes down to, because I think that the Vikings can move the ball against the secondary if they can get it out and if Kirk Cousins doesn't start seeing ghosts. But I, I think that they can have offensive success against this Eagles defense like they did last year, but it will be all about whether Cousins has that big turnover that he seems to have every single time they play an important game. That, and, and you only have enough time you know, to throw the ball uh, that's not just quick game or, or sort of wide receiver screens or getting the ball out quick or just the play action, but you know, can they just drop back on third and eights and protect him for they allow him to hitch once or, or two times that pocket? This D line is really, really good. They've been mm-hmm. good for a number of years, but I think Fletcher Cox, for whatever reason, I, you know, he he's I think he's in the same ballpark as some of the Aaron Donald type totally players agree. in the league. He's a top five interior guy, just so tenacious. He's good against the run, but so tenacious and athletic. Uh, as a pass rusher, uh, he, I, I'm interested to see what Rick Dennison and, and Stefanski and what, what they decide to do from a protection standpoint and how they really protect this offensive line because this is uh, a type of team that they can sort of wreck your offensive game plan and, and create those big turnovers that, you know, Kirk Cousins, uh, seems to 
find every once in a while. So Philly did not have a lot of sacks through the first couple of weeks and then had an outburst last week against Luke Falk, as I guess most teams would do against Luke Falk, of sacks. But a better metric to look at is QB hits in terms of how much they're disrupting the passer. Is it the pressure? And they are third in the NFL right now, only behind New England and Pittsburgh by one. They have 36 quarterback hits in five games, which seems like a lot of punishment to put on opposing quarterback, Sage. And that's what we saw from Cousins against Chicago. Chicago's coverage was not unbelievable. There were receivers that were open throughout that game, and yet it was their ability to get after Kirk Cousins that caused him to speed up his progressions, to make mistakes, to to fumble the football on the first drive of the second half. And I feel like if... Philadelphia's defensive line is every bit as good as it was in the NFC Championship game and as it's still continued to be, that becomes very, very difficult for Cousins. It's almost like at some point he has to prove that he can handle one of these teams that has a bunch of maulers up front. Yeah, that, that's going to be a huge challenge uh, you know, in, in this football game is is it's in you know we talk about it's funny, we, we talk about so many aspects of this team, but in particular it seems to be the you know, straight drop back pass scenario and how we're going to figure that out and what's that, you know, challenge from week to week. Uh, and, and again, this week has the pass rushers. Um, it, we'll, we'll see how it goes. And this is a week that he may have to, you know, we're going to see a top notch quarterback, Carson Wentz, and we're going to see Kirk Cousins. And uh, I'm excited to see, uh, you know, how that uh, sort of all pans out over the course of a football game. And, and uh, it should be, should be a good one. This is going to be two good football teams. Uh, that both need to win badly, and uh, it should be a good early season game. Almost to me, it doesn't feel like a playoff game per se, but man, you know, since the Eagles are just in the Super Bowl, and you see them as a contender when they're hot, they're they're really really good. Uh, I see them as a, as a playoff caliber playoff football team, which makes this game you know even even more important. Well, I feel like it's a huge swing game, not only for the schedule because it just continues to get harder as we go forward, but also for the just morale of the team. I mean, we knew that they were going to go. Blow the doors off the Giants. That was one of the most abysmal defensive performances that I can ever remember against the Giants team, or, or I'm sorry, against the Vikings team, where the Giants were just confused and there were open receivers all over the place. I mean, I don't expect that to happen the same exact way here. And also, as you mentioned, Philly's offense is really good. I, I want to get into that in a minute, but we had Jeremiah Searles on last week, former Vikings offensive lineman, and I asked him, what what can they do to help these offensive linemen? Because you know Fletcher Cox is going to blow people up, right? I mean, and Brandon Graham is going to blow people up. These guys are just too good. And he suggested getting back in that shotgun a little bit more than they had been. And you and I talked about this last year where we felt like Filippo was in the shotgun a little too often, but it really worked against Philly last year with a lot of those quick passes to start the game. I'm just going through it um, today and looking at it. Um, the first drive, the scripted drive last year against Philadelphia was short pass to the tight end, short pass to Stephon Diggs, 24-yard throw to Adam Thielen, short pass to Diggs, short pass to Diggs. I mean, it, it just... I think that they came out and got the ball out so fast that Philadelphia's defensive line couldn't get on top of Kirk Cousins, and I wonder if they try to do that again. Yeah, and and I will say this: we we talk about this sort of you know shotgun or under center and the running game with this play action. We've we've gone over that many times, but when you're definitely going to throw the ball, uh, being in shotgun is it's great. It allows the running backs to get up in front of the quarterback for any blitzing people, uh, but it also you know I think it, it just sort of helps with the 
the the uh, the offensive line, the interior aspect of the offensive line, uh, because the quarterbacks are already sort of away from them and they're not going to get pushed back because you know these guys like Fletcher Cox can really just drive a center or a guard straight back into the quarterback's lap. But if he's already back there at five or six yards, uh, that does help out the offense. And it's interesting, you know, watching the Forty ers game the other day. And they're this really good running football team and the Shanahan offense. But they're definitely in shotgun a lot, their, their fair share. But they do a lot of different things. It's sort of a fake jet sweep that somehow turns into a tight end screen. Uh, they're very creative in how they they uh, do different things in their offense. It's not just sort of this under center and play action and bootleg stuff. They, they still find ways to almost do play action and bootleg but in that shotgun formation, and, and it's it's very very effective. And you know anything I think that we, that the Vikings can do to not have Kirk just staying in the middle of that pocket mm-hmm. for fifteen to twenty times a game, that would be bad. If Kirk Cousins drops back five steps or seven steps on straight dropbacks twenty times in this game, I got to think the Vikings have we're, we're down by fourteen points and lose. Uh, by the way, Fletcher Cox has already created twenty four pressures in five. So even that's though, crazy. Yeah, even though he doesn't have a sack for an interior defensive lineman to be. Creating that much pressure is pretty wild. Um, he is an absolute beast. But you, you mentioned San Francisco. Is it just me, Sage, or is Kyle Shanahan playing chess and a lot of other people are playing checkers? It seems like he is just one step ahead of everyone else who's often trying to copy a lot of the concepts that he's using. Yeah, well, you know, I, I get to, I'm lucky enough that I played for Kyle in, in Houston. He was a receivers coach, quarterback coach, and then quarterback coach, and then coordinator. And that's when I had the best years of my career. So ever since then, I always felt that, uh, you know, the quarterbacks would play better in offense, would be, would be more productive in, on that, in his style of offense. And, you know, the reason I say that is when I was in Houston, uh, you know, we had Andre Johnson, which everyone remembers, but you know, people can't remember a lot of these other players that we had that weren't superstars, but they were guys that end up being really good players. And you know, guys like Owen Daniels was a went to Wisconsin as a quarterback, actually moved to tight end for a couple years, and we drafted him the Gary fourth Kubiak's round. Gary Kubiak's best friend. What's that? Gary Kubiak's best friend. I mean, he brought Owen Daniels wherever he went. Yeah, right. Yeah, because because Owen knew mm-hmm. Owen knew that if I go with Coops, you know, I'm going to get the ball and things good things are going to happen. End up uh, being out there and, and I believe winning the Super Bowl with uh, with Peyton Manning when Kubiak was there. So he had this ability to sort of maximize everyone's strengths, uh, and he just understood how defensive uh, schemes worked so well. In particular, like in the running game, how their gap schemes worked, and when the receiver. You know, should should crack a uh, um, uh, a strong safety, or if she sh- he should what we call an insert where he comes inside the tight end, sort of between the tight end and the tackle area, and goes in there to try to get the safety uh, because the safety that's his gap defensively and cover four. I mean, he gets really really complex with how he designs things and knows that if, when that receiver goes to to block that strong safety, well, the corner now has to step up and make that tackle. So he would design something at just the right and call it at just the right time where that safe that corner was being just a little bit too aggressive on what they call a crack replace and then boom next thing you know somebody's you know andre johnson or or kevin walter somebody was open wide open uh you know behind this cornerback and you're like how did that happen and it's because kyle's just i and i believe this is deep knowledge of how defenses work and uh and then how he constantly sort of manipulates and, and finds weaknesses in defenses every single week and and really understands you know how the three four uh, rules of of defense work compared to four three and different coverages. He really uh, you know knows football at high level. I sh- I talked to Sean McVay out of my camp last year in L A. and we talked about how 
uh, you know, Kyle is just so smart. He understands the game so well, and uh, and he you know gave huge props to a guy who you know they compete in the same division. Obviously, always work together, and a lot of times you you get a lot of coaches you like to think they're smarter than everybody else, but you know Sean had no uh, no issue saying that you know Kyle is the smartest coach he's ever been around. Uh, you actually just got three coaching interviews yourself for mentioning that you know Sean McVay. Good job. Oh, well, there you go. Congratulations, Sage. Uh, well, Washington should be one of them. That should be. Uh, should be calling anyway. Um, <laughs> I don't think Washington likes me. I was tweeting sort of bad things about them the other day oh, about um, their uh, their team name and how clueless. Well, they are not as an the team name, but I mean, I, I, the team name would be nice if they it wasn't that. You know, uh, they could be called the Washington Dumpster Fires, <laughs> but I think that's just sort of a general Washington thing. And like the whole the whole uh, situation, there's a dumpster fire. So uh, I'd like the Washington Dumpster Fires to be a good name. But no, I, I you know r- real quickly. But that you know that organization. I was there for one year. We went. We're we were zero and five with Tony Banks, who had literally signed like three weeks left in the the preseason, and he ended up being our starting quarterback. And we ended up going eight and eight, so we you know we sort of ended the season well. First year, Marty Schottenheimer. We had John Schneider, who's been the Seahawks GM, as our sort of you know basically GM at the time. And uh, yeah, Stephen Davis era in the in the backfield. Stephen Davis. In the backfield, Rod Gardner was the first-round draft Rod pick, Gardner. and Fred Smoot was our second-round pick. Where was Rock Cartwright at this time? Rock Cartwright came the next year as Steve Spurrier. <laughs> yeah, that was the next year. Full Rock backs. Cartwright to gamble on airplanes. Anyway, so, uh, <laughs> but Barty got fired at the end of one season, and I just, like, I can't believe, you know, that was, like, my welcome to the NFL. It's like, man, we yeah. won eight of our last 11 games. First year of Marty being there, and uh, and he got fired after an 8-8 eight and eight season, yeah. and, 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 and then comes Steve uh, Spurrier. Tony Banks. And Rock Hartwright. I think he beat the uh, the Cowboys that year too. Like, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, it, it's a constantly a dumpster fire is the perfect way to put it for that Washington uh, franchise. Um, I don't know the who, Washington dumpster fire. I, I don't know who would want. You know, what's funny is people will tweet me and be like, "Why don't you say their team name, you weenie, or something?" And I'm like, "Why should I respect them at all? Why? Why should? I, why should I respect anything they do? I, I mean, mocking them seems much more appropriate since they if are, they were like some, somehow winning championships, you would think like, well, at least they have some credibility behind, <laughs> right? But they don't know, at all. I, yes. I mean, this is in fact like sort of goes a little bit under the radar because there are more obvious dumpster fire franchises who just haven't won anything in a long time. I mean, Buffalo's four and one now, but I mean, they went 20 years without making the playoffs. Cincinnati seems to always get in their, their own way, but I think Washington is number one messiest team in the league. And I don't know who would want to go coach there. Well, not only is it maybe the messiest, but of all the, like you're talking about like Cincinnati, you know, smaller market, Buffalo, smaller market, you know, it's sort of a little bit different, but you know, Washington, when I got there, I, I remember, Hearing that Washington had like the biggest fan base in the country. Yeah, I could see so that. It was basically them and the Cowboys, but you know, since Atlanta sort of became a team later and, and obviously Carolina had just sort of joined the NFL, they had that like whole mid Atlantic, almost southeast region. You know, there was no Jacksonville at that time or whatever. So uh and, and you know, Atlanta was never very good and so they sort of owned the you know the Carolinas and and all the way all the way in there and, and uh and now it's just like they're they're complete they've been a complete laughing stock for basically twenty years. They made the playoffs a couple times. But then there's Todd just Collins. Really, really, Remember that? Todd Collins, yeah. I think he won a playoff game for them. Yeah, but yeah. So they you know, all sorts of all sorts of issues and, and they keep hiring and firing coaches and 
And I remember like the, like the PR directors would constantly change. Like it seemed like every other year is a new PR director. Everyone has to call Dan Snyder Mr. Snyder. Oh, I mean, there's just all these strange things that go on with, go on with it. And and uh, you know, people there's always people to blame. But it seems like this situation, man, 20 years of being what once was like one of the one of the best franchises of the what the 80s uh, and even yeah. the early 90s is is just been a joke for the last 20 years. And then it's really funny because uh, I. I saw that they want Joe Gibbs to help them with their coaching search. It's like the classic playbook of clueless franchises. Uh, who had success a really long time ago? Can they help us? We have no idea what we're doing. I um, mean, yeah, they should They should ask Kyle Shanahan who they should hire or something like yeah, that. Right. I mean, hi, hi, ask one of these, some of these, ask Mike Shanahan. Well, they, they hit Mike Shanahan, never mind. Uh, they, uh, yeah, they, they, they do. They continue to go back to, they went back to Joe Gibbs. How, how, did he coach for four or five years? Yeah, they came he, back that's a right. He, time. Came, he came back. That's right. And the yeah. guy was out of the NFL for like, what, 15 years or something? And then they, they brought him back. I mean, the league's constantly changing. I, I sometimes think about that as my kids get older and maybe graduate. Like, huh, but I ever want to get interested in the coaching. But I, then I think to myself, man, I, I wonder how much the game will change. Yeah. And it's just so hard to understand. It's, it's constantly evolving and, and getting better and more detailed and more precise. And I just, you just wonder, if, you know, out of football for 10 or 15 years, how much that game changed from back in the day when, you know, he, he was going against like the 85 Bears, you know, and you know, watch those old games. It's amazing how simple their offenses and defenses are. And, you know, it kind of speaks to, with uh, Washington being on the, the Vikings schedule, it kind of speaks to the importance of this game and the next two games here because. I mean, you never want to call anything an automatic win in football because they lost to Buffalo last year. Buffalo wasn't a great team, but at least Buffalo had a really, really good defense last year when they lost to them. Washington has very little to write home about. And so if you win this one against Philly, then no matter what happens in Detroit, you've got another win there and you can go into the first half of the season uh, feeling actually really good about where you're at, even though oftentimes it has looked like the walls were collapsing in on this team's age. Listen, this Philadelphia team uh, is going to be right there in that group of, I think, eight to ten win teams. So, you know, this game is huge. They, they beat the Packers uh, a couple weeks ago. They had a really, really tight game uh, with the Lions that they lost. But I think all these teams are going to be right in that mix. And, and you know, the NFC North might get three teams in the playoffs, so they might get, you know, just one, and the NFC East might get, a, you know, a couple of different teams in the playoffs. So it, I, I think they're right there and, and winning this game. Obviously, it, it helps the Vikings to go from four and two instead of three and three. But to beat another team that's going to be that they know they're going to be competing with, uh, as far as a playoff spot, and in about three months, it's almost a double victory uh, from that sense. Is giving this is not like just beating you know the, like the Giants of last week. You can't imagine them being a playoff honor or the Redskins. Uh, this is a team that's that's going to be vying for one of those you know coveted. Uh, you know, six playoff spots in the NFC. All right, let's take a break, Sage. When we come back, I wrote something on Delvin Cook and checkdowns, and a tweeter had a very good observation about this, and I, and I want to discuss from the quarterback's perspective. So we'll be right back. You're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. North Memorial Health has over 400 care providers. That's right, more than 400 care providers and more than 6,000 team members that are dedicated to keeping you healthy. North Memorial Health is proud to partner with the Minnesota Vikings as they work to make Minnesota the healthiest in the league. They're more than a team at North Memorial Health. They're your family. At North Memorial Health, customers are treated like family. Your health family is more than a tagline. It's a commitment to delivering unmatched customer service. 
That means a big smile when you walk in the door. That means making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It means asking, what else can we do for you? North Memorial Health will treat you like family in a good way. The people at North Memorial Health will team up with you to help you achieve your best health. So step up your health care game today and find your health family at northmemorial.com slash family. Once again, that's northmemorial.com slash family. Well, they, they, you know, they had three sacks going in the ball game, uh, in the four, first four games. So they end up getting ten yesterday or Sunday. And, um, you know, I'm, I don't Maybe they're getting their groove a little bit, you know. Um, you know, we're gonna have to do a good job in protection on these guys. They're they're good. They're good pass rushers, and they've got good blitzes. So, uh, you know, the backs are gonna have to be involved. Tight ends, everybody. That was Minnesota Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer there, and uh, got a question for you, Sage Rosenfels. Um, checkdowns are usually talked about as if they're bad. Like, ah, he's just checked down Charlie out there, and. Cousins against the Bears, they were bad. If you're checking down to C.J. Ham for a two-yard gain while Stephon Diggs is running wide open and you're not even actually under pressure, then you did a bad. But uh, the check down on Sunday to Delvin Cook that turned into nearly a touchdown was, I think, evidence of how different checkdowns can mean different things. And I think against Philly making sure that they can get Delvin Cook out there, even if there is some sacrifice in pass protection, is something that they want to do because he can get the ball in space on those checkdowns and make big plays. Well, you know, there's multiple types of checkdowns. I mean, some, if it's first man-to-man, a lot of times checkdowns are, are runaway uh, you know, type plays. And, and when a linebacker is trying to cover an explosive running back, it's almost like a you know, Stephon Diggs running a shallow crossing route versus man coverage and you got to step on him. I mean, you love those situations. And so, uh, if it's, if it's zone coverage, uh, the reason check downs are good is because, well, the defense is dropped deep and, and you get to get it to your back, uh, uh, in space. Uh, and he actually has some room to, you know, make his magic happen. And it's amazing how good and how athletic running backs are and their agility and their speed and, and the ability to, to, to make me, people miss more than, I think, wide receivers or tight ends. Uh, those running backs are so hard to tackle when you have, I mean, they're, when, when you have them in space, I guess what I'm trying to say. And so uh, I think checkdowns are great. It's, it's you know, they're, in some ways they're like runs if they're only a five-yard gain. But, you know, five-yard gains and runs are good. So uh, you can't go broke taking a profit. That was taught to me by Modern Schottenheimer. And I did quickly learn uh, again, like in those early preseason games of my career, as you're going back, you know, teams are a lot of times teams are they defend deep to short, in particular in zone coverage, and you know those checkdowns are are great ways to get you know it, it seems like five yards, but sometimes they turn into uh, eights and nines, and then every once in a while ends up being like a thirty yarder. So yep. so very very quickly you realize like wow these things are great. Uh, you still want to try to push the ball down the field, but forcing the ball into double coverage or forcing the ball when there's just a really, really small window. I mean, sometimes those work out, but other times, you know, just a, a, somebody gets a hand on it or and tips it and ends up being a, a catastrophe play, ends up being an interception. Meanwhile, you're running back a stand there with nobody within seven or eight yards of them. That's a pretty good place to go with the ball as well. So I wrote about this, scorenorth.com, and also wrote about the, the screen pass game that really got going. And I, and I feel like it's been an every other week thing for a Sage where I'll say, well, they got those screens going they should continue to use those and then the next week it doesn't really happen and then 
they do it again and we say, oh, look, they should use them. Uh, but it is amazing to me when you see it on tape, the small details, if there's any little bit of gap left for Delvin Cook, he'll just break the tackle and get 10 yards. And there was a, pl- a screen pass where Delvin faked as if he was pass protecting and the linebacker sort of drifted up a little bit waiting for him to do something and then he exploded and then broke the tackle easily and, and kept going. And it's amazing that if anyone gives him the slightest bit of a gap, then he's going to get space. And I think that this is absolutely necessary for them to do this week to be able to throw these screens because if he gets the ball in any sort of space, it's going to be a big play. Well, screens do so many things for an offense. They not only a possible completion with a, with a big run afterwards, and could be a huge play if you hit it versus a blitz or just the right coverage. Uh, but they, you know, slow down that pass rush, and it's really, really important. So if we, if we, if Kirk has to throw the ball twenty times this week from straight drop back stuff, you got to think he's going to get hit in seven or eight of those, and you got to think that he might fumble on one or two of those. So uh, the, the fewer, the, the the more you can slow down that pass rush and make them maybe think, oh shoot, we just we went, went too far. Now he's got thirty yards on a screen. Uh, the, the defense has to prepare for that. You know, when they go into a game, they may be thinking screen pre-snap and not rush quite as quite as hard. It's actually not a screen, uh, so it, it's very important for an offense to. I I think that screen game again. And like when I was in Houston with Kubiak, that was the first time I thought that the offense really took the details of the screen game. Uh, they took it really really importantly, and we had very very fine details of exactly what we were uh, going to do and the linemen and all those things. It was just a very sort of tight ship on those plays and and uh but it does take great execution it's not as simple as it seemed as you know a, a lineman blocks a guy then he goes out there and tries to hit somebody and the running back just sort of tries to hide and then you throw him the ball it's way more complicated than that and and i think this team does a pretty good job of trying to not only design them uh but uh, but the execution i think they do at a pretty high level and uh you know that's you got to get getting dalvin cook the ball in space, or, or Madison getting him the ball in space, or Irv Smith. I'd like to see him him catch a screen as Rudy caught one last week. I'd like to see those guys really be able to, to get the ball in space and, and, and use their speed, and, and you can get some really, really big plays. It's, it's, it's hard to throw the ball 40 yards down the field, but every once in a while, a screen will go for 30 or 40. Now, I know everybody can't touch the ball all the time, so you know this happens, but Kyle Rudolph has been mostly irrelevant in this offense so far this year. And I know that uh, Kyle said he's appreciating his job blocking, and I've made fun of that several times. Um, But he's not a great blocker. He's more of a pass-catching guy. And do you think that that develops as we go along? Or is that just a chemistry that's not going to be there with him and Cousins? Because it wasn't really last year. Sometimes they had to force Cousins to throw him the ball. And when I was watching the tape back, I noticed a couple of times where Kyle Rudolph was there and, and uh, Cousins just didn't really look his way or was looking his way and decided, now nah, I'm not going to go there. There was one play in particular where he crossed the face of the safety, which usually means Rudolph's big body. Good luck to any safety trying to get around him if you throw him the ball. And it just, and it seemed Cousins was looking at him and he just didn't pull the trigger and he checked it down instead. And I don't know, th- those two don't have the same type of chemistry as Rudolph has had with previous quarterbacks. They don't, and I think there's some some issues with Adam. Uh, I'm sorry, Adam, on, on, on Kirk uh, pulling the trigger. I think he's been a little more hesitant uh, yeah, you know, this totally. year to try to fit the ball. And, you know, last year it seemed like he did have a little more of a gunslinger's mentality, and they're throwing for all these yards and and plenty of balls to go around, and, and he was trying to zip things in there. And, 
and for the most part having some pretty good luck with it if he had protection. Uh, but it does seem this year he is more conscious of of not being overly aggressive. And as you're talking about with Rudy, you know, a lot of times he's up the seam or he's on some sort of bender. Uh, but there's a lot of people around, and I, I think that you know right now Kirk seems to have the mentality of not trying to force it in there, uh, but that there are other options that are pretty dang good too. Maybe Stefan is is number two in the read, or or Dalvin Cook's number two in the read uh, after Rudy's number one. And so let's you know let's let's not force it into somebody who usually by the way doesn't get great separation because he doesn't have that burst, he doesn't mm-hmm. have that that big speed, and so a lot of times. Uh, you know, Rudy's covered, but Rudy never really is covered because right. he's so good with his hands and so good with his body, and he's like a basketball player. And and uh, so, but but you know, it doesn't seem like Kirk is sort of forcing the ball to him. There's also just so fewer passes this year than last year. I mean, it's just really right. you look at these numbers; it's really incredible uh, for how many yards the the Vikings threw last year, how many attempts and completions they had. Uh, that you know, Kyle is fifth on the team in receptions with six. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, BC Johnson is fourth on the team in receptions with eight. I mean, that just, it's mind boggling at this point, uh, how little the Vikings have thrown the football through their first, uh, you know, five games of the season. So I got a tweet from Shane. I don't know if you remember the play exactly. Uh, we were watching it in Chicago, but, uh, he asks of you if you remember what Kirk should have done on that throw where he did check it down to CJ Ham instead of throwing it to wide open digs. Like do you remember what happened? Like what what goes wrong with Cousins when that happens that he checks down too quickly instead of finding his guy? Uh you know, I I, I think at that situation because you know we were in the southeast corner of the stadium and that play was in the south end zone. Uh, and I was his feet in the end zone or inside the five. He was yard backed line? up. Yeah, we're backed up pretty good. Up, yeah. and, and let me tell you, that's not a great feeling for a quarterback. It literally feels like you're looking up this hill uh, when you're the closer you are to the end zone, and and you, you you're worried about these you know terrible plays of getting sacked in the end zone for a safety or you know getting sacked and fumbling and running uh, out of the back of the end zone if you're Dan Orlovsky. Orlovsky, uh, who has recovered. In a, has, in a great yes. way, by the way, he good has. for him. Um, but uh, you, you, a lot of times you're a little bit uh, more weary to get the ball out faster, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And I think on that time, the pressure was coming, but he did have enough time to get it to Stephon Diggs. But I think you know he was probably in the mindset of, you know, don't screw this up. You know, you're, you're back yeah. inside your own five or ten yard line. Uh, you have to make a quick decision there, not hold on to the football. Uh, and and you know that's that would have been in, in a low scoring football game that would have been uh, a terrible thing to happen. So, but he ended up missing a guy who ended up being wide open. It was you know perfectly designed. Uh, I believe they probably call that like I think it was there's a west right slot stack, uh, fake eighteen stretch uh, or pass eighteen stretch. Uh, you know I, probably I can't remember what they called that the combination over there sale or something like that. And and Stephon Diggs was the corner route and he was wide open. I remember that play call so well. Um, no, I'm just, I know. I'm I can't just remember kidding. if they did a solo right slot stack or just west right slot stack and have the guy come across. I'll ask. The, yeah, yeah. I'm not, <laughs> not quite, not quite Sean McVay, but I was sitting next to you, uh, and uh, we were, you know, who knows what we were talking about at the time as we were trying to watch that game. Yeah. Well, even uh, even my less trained eye could see Stefan Diggs with no one around him. So anyway, um, well, I I appreciate that, and and I think that that's what they need to be concerned about this week with Cousins is that same level of pressure that's coming up front. I think that that's the combination that has been so troublesome for him. But I I want to ask you, Sage, about Carson Wentz. Um, let me give you a few options, and you tell me which one you think is closest to the truth with Carson Wentz. That he is, let's say, future Hall of Famer, 
Um, Pro Bowler franchise quarterback. Still not really sure yet, um, or kind of overrated guy on a really good team. Like which which one of those categories fits him the best? You think? Um, I would say say Pro Bowl uh, franchise quarterback. Okay, what do you like? Um, I, what do you I like don't about? have him as a Hall of Famer. I think people are crazy. I mean, they had Cam Newton as a Hall of Famer after a couple of years too. Right. It seemed like, and like you just have to wait these things out because to be a Hall of Famer as a quarterback anymore. I mean, you have to play at least 12 yeah. seasons at right. a high level. And actually, probably I would say almost more than that now, probably closer to 14 or 15. I mean, that's just sort of the way the league is going. So, in, you know, first few years uh, to say that, I mean, he has the potential absolutely to be a Hall of Famer. If he plays like he has played, but he doesn't get injured for the next 15 years, I got to imagine he's at or near the Hall of Fame. He's probably been in a couple of Super Bowls and, and maybe even won one or two or something like that. I mean, he, I think he's a really, really good quarterback. The issue is uh, his uh, ability to get hurt. He just get hurt. He gets gets hurt too often. He runs a lot. Uh, he still sort of plays like a young guy. And um, But he is a, such a talented athlete. And he's got a, a huge arm. He's an accurate thrower. He's a huge, great competitor. And uh, at his best, he's as good as there is in the NFL. I think he's he's a top five NFL quarterback when he's at his best. Uh, but the issue is he, you know, sometimes he uh, tries to hold on to the football too much, tries to do too much yeah. sometimes, and also you know gets hurt. And and when you're not available, uh, that is your that's your biggest ability is your availability. And he has not been available uh, for for some of his NFL career. Now last year they were able to give him some troubles, but the offensive line for Philadelphia was beat up a little bit last year. I think their offensive line has been. And the driving force to their success, along with the weapons. I mean, they've got two great tight ends. They've got multiple very good wide receivers. They add Jordan Howard, who just eats the Minnesota Vikings alive. But I think it all starts with with the O-line. And if Jason Peters is healthy, playing like himself, like this could be the one team that is able to slow down Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter. Well, speaking of a Hall of Famer, I mean, Jason Peters, he might be a Hall oh, of Famer. Oh, he should be a Hall of Famer. They Absolutely. got him for a second-round draft. Yes, I remember from which team. I remember the Buffalo. It was Bills. the Buffalo Bills. Yes, who yeah, refused to pay him, and then he said, "Okay, then trade me." Second round pick is all I got for him. I'm not, I'm not and... bitter about players who left Buffalo, like Antoine Winfield, London Fletcher, Jason Peters, Takeo Spikes. They had a bunch of great players. Anyway, I just I could go on. They had a bunch of great players, and they let them all go, and they could never find a quarterback. But anyway. Well, listen, and and I, I will say this about this this team, this Philadelphia Eagles team. They're three and two. Uh, the Vikings are three and two. I think this is the best team the Vikings have played this year. I think they're better than the Bears. I agree. I think they're, I think they're better than yep. the Packers. I, I think that you know the, they and the Packers play each other ten times. It's probably six and four or four, five and five. I mean, they're pretty close. But I can see this team be you know beating anybody uh, in the NFC. So I think this game is uh, real. If you want to know how good the Vikings are this year, especially since we're not in those first couple games of the season where everyone's trying to work you know figure themselves out and and work through all your issues and figure out what, your, what issues you do have. I think we're far enough in the season now is, is this Vikings team knows who, sort of who they are, uh, what, what they can be, and what, what their strengths and weaknesses are, and now they're going against another, as I said, one of the better teams I see on their schedule. This game is, is a huge, huge game 
uh, on Sunday. All right, let's uh, do our journeyman quarterback of the week as we do every Wednesday and get uh, some some final other factors in this. And I, I've got an Andrew Sandejo-related question for you uh, when we return. So we'll come right back. Sage Rosenfels, Matthew Collar, you're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Jonathan here with this hour's Score North download, brought to you by the 2020 Choice Bank Minnesota Golf Show. Mackie and Judd with Rami this evening. You can join them at Stella's Fish Cafe from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. in Minneapolis for a special live podcast recording. Hang out with the guys and our friends from Tullamore Do Whiskey as they talk playoff baseball, Vikings football, and more. That's tonight from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at Stella's in Minneapolis. And Kirk Cousins on his podcast said he played a lot better this weekend because he was ticked off. So the press this morning asked Mike Zimmer about that quote and about how or why Kirk Cousins' play is better ticked off, and here's his response. Like uh, Kirk on his radio show last night said he thought he played with more fire and more of an edge uh, against the Giants, and that he feels like he plays better when he does that. Did you notice that at all Sunday, and do you agree that he plays better when he's maybe a little bit ticked off or, or on edge? I don't know. If I knew that, was I'd take him off myself. I don't know, and I didn't listen to his radio show, so um, whatever he says is fine with me. Uh, I'll take him off. Vikings fans, you got any ideas for Zimmer to tick off Kirk Cousins? Let us know over at Score North on Twitter, at SKOR North on Twitter. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, man, the typing during the press conferences it just bleeds, it's egregiously bleeds loud into the audio. Stop it. Anyway, Zimmer actually got upset, I think it was last year at people tweeting during the press conference because of the typing and stuff. Anyway, that's the, totally aside. Here's my question for you, Sage, before we get to our journeyman quarterback of the week, and I love mine. Um, Anderson Deo plays for the Eagles, played for the Vikings for a long time, knows Mike Zimmer's defense, and Zimmer said he's going to, quote, sing like a canary when it comes to helping the Eagles prepare for his defense. Now, one, I would say <laughs> the Eagles already had a fine time solving that defense in the NFC Championship, but I'm sure things have changed. Any Is there anything in the world to it when a player goes to another team who is playing his former team, helping him with the system and, and so forth, or is that totally overrated? No, it, it's a it's a big advantage. Uh, I don't know, you know, what the Vikings do. I don't know if there's anything that one of the former players, or what from his, defensively at least, you know, I think offensively there's so many things that offenses do, like the, what they like to do out of formations and what pass concepts they like, and when when they're in stacks or whatever little hints you can get. But defensively, uh, I'm not sure if there's that many tells that Mike Zimmer's defense says. That's what's so nice about it is that it's. Um, it all sort of looks the same sometimes. You know, that double-A gap thing, uh, they can bring, and, and there's usually a guy on either outside, outside the tight end, and also outside on the other side. So there's sort of four guys that could all blitz, and there's various combinations of, of any of them. And I don't, I don't think there's like a rhyme or reason. It's just whatever Zimmer wants to call in that play. So 
I mean, I think Sendejo uh, can say, well, these are the different things they do out of the double A gap blitzes, but it still doesn't help you out of knowing which one's going right. to be Right, there are a ton of things the they game. do out of that. Yeah, so uh, I, I think all I can really do is these are all the things that they do out of that. But the question is, you know, which ones do they actually bring and in what combination? And, you know, the, the, there's always new things to to change on those types of things. And so, and also they, they just play a lot of man-to-man coverage and cover four, which is there's nothing to really, you know, learn about that. My guess is he'll say things like, you know, I, I attack things they probably already know, like I'd attack Xavier Rhodes over Trey Waynes and Mike Hughes. That's what I would do, you know, if I were them. So I don't know if there's going to be too much uh, uh, that, that he can really tell uh, that the Eagles offensive coaching staff that really you know changes their game plan that they don't that that they don't already see on film yeah no I feel the same way and, and with Zimmer he's been with all these guys for so long that I mean a, a major part of it has to be I can tweak and change anything I want to any week and Anthony Barr is going to know how to handle it in the Mike Zimmer defense and Harrison Smith is a wizard and could do anything he wants so it's uh, it's like you know okay you can know the system all you like Andrew Sandejo and try to help them but you can't anticipate the tweaks and changes that Zimmer can make at, on the fly because of the players that he has yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, there's there's one thing understanding scheme, but the other at the other side of it is like, well, okay, we still got to block Everson and Daniel, and you still got to find a, some way to stop you know, Kendricks up the middle from making a, a ton of tackles, and and everyone knows that Harrison Smith is going to be all over the field, and he's going to be all over the field. So I don't know, there just doesn't seem to be a ton there uh, that uh, that you know I think the Eagles would have some big advantage. I do think again on the other side. I do think to understand what an offense does and what their tendencies are for a defensive coach, actually, I think is more important. Um, and I, I'm a, you know, I bounced around with, with my career. I got to the Giants um, near the end of my career, and I would meet. I think I met with their coaching staff on five different games that year, where I'd walk in on Monday and Tuesday and spend hours with them watching film. And this is right because it was all that we were playing against all these former coordinators that I played against. <laughs> And our right. our defense averaged something like six point seven points a game, giving up uh, in in those you know five or six football games that year. It, it, it was incredible, and I can't say it was myself, but I, I think you know like when I used to say like when we would go empty in Houston, we we played we I, and I was there a couple of years later, of course, and we we went down to Houston and and I would say to them, hey, every time Kubiak's an empty, you know they it almost is always a quick game. They wants to get the ball out. He doesn't want the you know quarterback holding it or you know when they're in these formations. This is what we generally do, and blah blah blah. And I think it did give uh, the, the Giants a little bit of advantage, knowing just some of the tendencies that the offense are doing. But now, with all the next gen stats and all these things, like mm-hmm. that, may, might be a, a, a moot point. Well, you should sign Journeyman. Is the point Journeyman like my Journeyman quarterback of the week, Sage Rodney Pete, who once, as a Philadelphia Eagle, went nine and three despite throwing. Eight touchdowns, 14 picks, and registering a 67 quarterback rating. But in that same year, 1995, he had four game-winning drives and three fourth-quarter comebacks to lead the Eagles to the playoffs. Rodney Pete, Detroit, Philly, Carolina, Dallas, Washington. And I looked up his Wikipedia, of course. My favorite fact, that he co-hosted the Hallmark Kitten Bowl in 2019. Rodney Mm. Pete, my guy for the week. Interesting, you know. I as we're as we're talking about Rodney Pete here, a couple of things that I've noticed over, uh, you know, looking at his Wikipedia. Obviously, USC Trojan played in the baseball team, was drafted a couple times in baseball as well. Uh, beat Troy Aikman in college. 
uh, and then had a 16-year NFL career. I didn't know he played for that long. Long time, yeah. And a, a long, long career. Ended up marrying Holly Pete Robinson, uh, who's a uh, Holly Robinson Pete, excuse me, uh, who's a, a I guess a fairly well-known actress. I I see her occasionally on the on the Twitter, uh, uh, <laughs> chatting a few things there. The and then she was on uh, 21 Jump Street and hanging with Mr. Cooper. Oh, hanging with Mr. Cooper, yeah, for uh, TGI Friday fans of the 90s. Yeah, yeah, they, they, you know, there you go. <laughs> so that, they're sort of one of those Hollywood couples, I think, of, you know, he's old, sort of Los Angeles fame, and, and obviously she being an actress. And you, so, you had yes. uh, Boy Meets World, then hanging with Mr. Cooper, I think, would be the, uh, the combination there on Fridays. He has a great career. I mean, he was part of the Detroit teams where they couldn't figure out who their quarterback was, but they were still really good. So 1991, he goes 6-2 and two as a starter, but they also had Eric Kramer and Andre Ware. And so it's like this rotating cast of quarterbacks. You never see that almost ever anymore, but Rodney Pete always seemed to be there. And in his career, how, how, what always happens with great journeymen, Sage, they're always 500 quarterbacks, 45 and 42. Boom. There you go. And I, I tell you what, another thing interesting, at the end of his career, he sort of had the, uh, the, the, the situation where he was the quarterback on a really good football team, and they decided to go with the young gunslinger and Jake DeLome. That's right. And that team ended up going to the Super Bowl. So that was probably his best chance to be on and be the, the starting quarterback on a great, great team, and they ended up going with, with Jake, and, and you know that was the end of that, and he retired not too long after that. So you know, quite a career, 16 years, unbelievable, great athlete. The fact that he was drafted in baseball you know, multiple times is, uh, you know, absolutely an incredible athlete. And it looks like from, uh, from Shawnee Mission High School in Can, which is near Kansas City. So a lot of good quarterbacks for this Eagles team. Another Detmer, of course. Uh, Several Detmers. Coy and Ty. Is there, is there a couple Detmers that play? Yeah, Ty played for them too. Yeah, Ty also. Yeah. Yep. So, BYU. You know, they love those Detmers there. That was Andy Reid. He loved those, those Detmer quarterbacks. And obviously Andy had them also in Green Bay with him when he backed up far. He had Ty Detmer. Uh, AJ Feely is a good buddy of mine. We came out the same year. And AJ <laughs> right. definitely a journeyman quarterback and definitely, and had a second stint with, uh, uh, with the Eagles, uh, you know, also. The post-Cunningham uh, quarterbacks are so great. You got Detmer, Bobby Hoying, Doug Peterson. I Bobby mean, Hoying, great Ohio State quarterback. What I want to talk about is Bubby Brister. Bubby Brister, yes. Bubby Brister, my quarterback, uh, you know, of the week and, and he had, uh, an, an interesting career, played for the Steelers, the Eagles, the Jets, the Broncos, the Vikings in 2000. Uh, and the Kansas City Chiefs, and, and won two Super Bowls as the as one of the backup quarterbacks for John Elway on those Broncos teams. His name is Walter Andrew Brister the Third. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> I, did, I did not. And and after Elway retired, it was sort of a question. You know, Brian Greasy was only a third round draft pick, uh, so he wasn't some you know highly drafted guy they thought was truly going to replace Elway. I think they drafted him as a you know possible future star, but maybe more of a backup. He didn't have a big arm and and didn't have all this talent and whatever, and just sort of hand the ball off to, I think, what, touchdown Tim Bianca Batuca yeah, yeah, at, right. uh, at, 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 at Michigan. And him and Bubby were in this tight battle for the starting quarterback job after I retired. And, and I remember watching a couple of preseason games, and Bubby just played terrible. I mean, just like th- literally like just Bobby. one time he was like about the seven-yard line. It would be a situation where he'd definitely throw the ball out of the back of the end zone because nobody was there. And he just like threw the ball right to the defensive guy and, uh, and it just had a sort of disastrous preseason that was, you know, a big shot for him to start on that, on that Broncos team and didn't play well. And it ended up being Brian Greasy and then Greasy ended up having a, a great year and that was the end of that. So Bubby Brister, a Southern boy, 
lives down uh, in, in Mandeville, Louisiana, which is uh, just on the other side of the, uh, uh, the, the what's it called? Is it Lake Pontchartrain? Lake Pontchartrain Causeway. There's a 26-mile causeway that goes between New Orleans and Mandeville. I trained there getting ready for the draft when I came out. And, uh, and that's where Bobby Brister lives with his wife and two children. And his career record? 37 and 38, 500 every time. All right, Sage, uh, great stuff. We'll be back on Monday to break it all down, what happened between the Eagles and Vikings. Thanks for your time as always, man. Sounds good. Sage Rosenfels there. You can follow him at Sage Rosenfels 18 on Twitter. We'll take a break. Mike Sando, formerly of ESPN, now with The Athletic, has done a lot on the Minnesota Vikings this week, including quoting one executive with an interesting comment about Stefan Diggs. So we're going to talk with Mike Sando when we return. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. All right, welcome back to Purple Daily. Matthew Collar with you. Jonathan Harrison producing as always. And joining us now, he is with The Athletic, spent many years with ESPN. And uh, you probably know him best from the quarterback tier articles, which are a must-read in the offseason. It's Mike Sando. Hi, Mike. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks for taking the time on the show. It's almost like this week um, you decided you wanted to be on our show because you've written a lot about the Minnesota Vikings and your stuff on Kirk Cousins versus good defenses is really fascinating. I want to get to that. But something that you just posted today on The Athletic about Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen I thought was really interesting that you quoted an evaluator saying that they think that uh, Stefan Diggs is the better receiver than Thielen because he can do more. So what do you make of this Stefan Diggs situation where they have not used he and Thielen as much early in the year? Yeah, well, you know, there's Thielen ended up being, I think, higher in the overall picture of this piece that I did. Yes. There, were, there are people who think that if one of them had to live on their own, so to speak, right, and be the driver of the offense, that Diggs might be better equipped to do that. So I think it's early uh, to make a judgment on on the offense, I, it's disconcerting a little bit, you know, how Cousins has played at times, how um, they haven't been taking advantage of their weapons. Um, I would like to, if I were, you know, hoping that if I were a Viking fan, I'd be hoping that um, they'd open things up a little bit more. I think the game plan last week was really good. Obviously, it was against a, a weaker defense, but move Cousins around. You've got to find ways to get the passion game going. You're built to um, take advantage of those receivers, and so find that balance. You know, they've, they've really—it's Mike Zimmer grabbing the steering wheel and overcorrecting. You know, ever since they really got rid of DiFilippo, mm-hmm. and uh, it needs to sort of come back. You know, hey, let's. Stay in the middle of the road here. Yeah, you know, my thought, Mike, is that this year Mike Zimmer owns the offense. That even though he has tried in the past to be, I'm the defensive coach and I'm going to let Norv run it. I'm going to let Shermer run it. I'm going to let Filippo run it. Um, now it seems like him saying, no, 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 we need to run the football with Delvin Cook. That's how our offense has to be driven. That's him basically taking ownership and I think also has to be held responsible when it doesn't work. I agree. I, my hope would be for the team that it evens out of the course of the year. They have some, you know, really credible people on the offensive side of the ball. The ball. They're obviously Gary Kubiak, and I think Kevin Stefanski's uh, been a, you know, a head coaching candidate for a reason too. I mean, I think he's good, and he's obviously knows the landscape. He's been in Minnesota a long time, um, and so that has to, to me, sort of even out a little bit. And 
I would think that it will. I mean, I think you're going to have more success offensively as the season goes along, um, you know, playing a more sort of a more balanced, uh, you know, emphasizing the pass a little bit more on early downs, that type of thing. Um, it, it, it just makes too much sense. I mean, you're going to be better. You're going to have success doing that. Yeah, and after seeing what they did last week, they just shred the Giants. This kind of brings me to uh, the article that you had on Monday about Kirk Cousins versus good and bad defenses. And I did something similar about how he played against bad defenses, what his PFF grade, or uh, sorry, against good defenses, PFF grades, and stuff like that. And it's usually through his whole career pretty poor. Now, they're good defenses, of course, but to not even have good games at all, really, against really good defenses. I mean, what does that say about Kirk Cousins as a quarterback? Well, I think we could do this for a lot of quarterbacks, and they wouldn't have great games against um, great defenses. I think that's why the defenses are great. They have good, you have good stats because you do well against most teams. So um, at the same time, um, I think what it tells us is that uh, Kirk Cousins is, you know, when I do my quarterback tiers thing every year, he, if he's, if things are going great for him, he's sort of the bottom of that second tier. And if, if things are just sort of ho ho, you know, ho hum for him, then he's in that third tier. And I think he is sort of an upper third tier guy. And that means you can win with him, but you need to have things right around him. And he's not going to necessarily elevate you. He's not going to put it on his back. He's not going to be the reason, um, you won most of the games. It doesn't mean he can't have big games, but I, I think that, the confusion people have is because they paid him at the top of the market. Mm-hmm. So people expect him to be a top-of-the-market player, but it's not really the way the market looks. Look at any other position. Look at middle linebacker last year. C.J. Mosley got $17 million in free agency. He got more than Bobby Wagner of Seattle. Who do we think's better? Right. Everybody would say Wagner's better, right? It's the price of free agency. So that's what Kirk Cousins is having to live down uh, because it's like, well, hey, you got paid the top, but he was never the top. I don't think the Vikings thought he was the top. They just paid what they had to pay to get what they thought was a better guy than what they had. So I guess the question is, and I totally agree with you, that there are a number of quarterbacks, probably the majority of them, who if they have a really good situation, then they could get you somewhere, and if they don't, then they won't. But with Cousins, it's really hard to argue that he doesn't have a great situation. I mean, what we get down to here in Minnesota, Mike, is, well, you know, his left guard isn't playing that well, and it's like, come on, guys. I mean, I know that's a factor, but he's got two elite receivers. I mean, the fact that Diggs and Thielen are both in your article about number one receivers receivers tells you a lot he's got two tight ends who could play now he's got one of the best running backs in the league i mean this season should be hey we gave you pretty much everything you could have asked for and if you don't get it done if you don't get us into the playoffs including having a a really good defense still then that tells i think the vikings about what they need to do at the quarterback position going forward yeah now at the same time they um basically you'd say he's had you say he's, he's had two bad games right You'd say at yeah. Green Bay and at Chicago, yeah. And then they they rolled Atlanta and they rolled Oakland, right? And they and they basically rolled the Giants. Yep. So they probably lost the two games they should have lost, right? I would, yeah, I guess so. I mean, those are fifty fifty games to me, but you could say that. Yeah, but they wouldn't be favored to win at Green Bay or favored to win at Chicago, right? You would hope, right? Like I would say in the Green Bay game, he made a really bad interception that maybe cost him the game. And you're hoping your guy doesn't do that, right? right? I mean, that was a game that was there to be won. Green Bay was not playing great offensively. They had 21 points early. But it's a 21-16 game where you're bummed that you lost it. Um, I think let's see how it plays out. Like, to me, this week, Philadelphia is totally a game where you're at home against a good team that has a bad defense. I want to see this be like, uh, you know, Cousins really 
really putting up some numbers. Remember last year they played the Rams, even though they lost the game, it was like 38-31. You're yep. like, wow, that's what it can look like, right? So this may be that type of game where I don't know if Philly can – Philly has a good offense. They may not put up a ton on the Vikings defense. We'll see. But I would like to see Kirk Cousins and the Viking offense sort of keep pace in this game, right, because they're going against the worst defense in the matchup. They should have a good game. They should have, you know, 24 or more points, and they should they should have a great chance to win it. Talking with Mike Sando with The Athletic, and one of the coolest things that you do is talk to a lot of executives. You have a lot of great quotes from people inside the game, which I think provides a lot of insight. And it seems like every year in your quarterback tier piece with Cousins, it comes up somewhere from someone about the inability to win the big games. And you mentioned what he did at, at L.A. and what he did in Philly last year. He had a very good game against the Eagles to win one on the road. But it, it just keeps sort of coming up, Mike. The, every time he loses a big game, Twitter goes nuts with, he's this and this against winning teams. He's this and this in Monday Night Football and all those things. And me as a person who loves analytics and things like that, I, I think normally in my life I would be like, oh, come on, guys. I mean, that's kind of you know kind of basic narrative sort of thing. But is it still Backs up, and we see it time and time again. It feels more real. So, how do people around the league see this issue that Cousins has had throughout his career? They don't see Cousins as somebody that the whole team rallies around for whatever reason, and you know, just that that he's leading that team. And you know, remember when he was coming out, people were like, "Oh, he wasn't really a captain at Michigan State," or all those things that are sort of silly, but. Um, I think that's just sort of the feel that you have. Now, then it's hard. I think it's underrated how hard it is to parachute into a new team. It's a veteran team, an established team, be anointed as the highest-paid guy, and suddenly have it be organic that you're one of the guys and leading the team, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. my hope for him would be that that develops over time and that you see that. But um, yeah, it's hard to measure whether that's happening. You know, after when they struggle a couple games, you know, Diggs is trying to get off the team. He's not saying, hey, I stand by my guy. Don't attack my quarterback. You know what I mean? And so um, I that has to grow. Hopefully that grows together over time. And um, it's not easy. And maybe this, maybe some of that's on him. You know, maybe he's just not naturally a, that type of guy. Yeah, and it was noticeable the week after Chicago that we didn't hear that from anyone. We didn't hear from anyone come out and say, Hey, like I believe Cousins is going to get it back together and and have big games as we go forward. It was more of, well, uh, I didn't say I was frustrated. You're frustrated. I mean, there was a lot of like very sort of weird and and almost petty things that were being said by people, but not the thing that you wanted to hear was a belief in Cousins. Yeah, but but some of that starts with the head coach. Yeah, the head coach I agree. Never likes any of the quarterbacks, right? Teddy, the head coach is going to criticize the offense all the time, right? The special teams, the kicker. Uh, you know what I mean? He's not really criticizing the defensive play calling, right? Oh, of course you know not, because I mean? he's making it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. And it's sort of that old school defensive, almost, you know, Bill Parcells hard edge type thing to it. I think if he were not just like blowing smoke and saying Kirk Cousins is elite, like John Jim Harbaugh used to say about Alex Smith years ago, remember? Yeah. He would yep. act like he was Tom Brady. Don't do that. But um, I think he could set a different tone um, that could be helpful to Kirk Cousins, you know, and. I don't see that. (laughs) So this has been a great conversation here, Mike, because we've been talking about 
him handling Cousins in a way with kid gloves after games, but then you have probably other players in that locker room going, well, wait a minute, why won't he criticize Cousins, but he will criticize the offense and fire John Filippo, and it's, it's kind of hard to be consistent, but when Case Keenum was here, he hammered Keenum, even though he kept winning game after game after game. So it, it is almost like, aside from Teddy Bridgewater, Mike Zimmer doesn't really know what to do with his quarterbacks. Yeah, he's you know he wasn't hired to be the quarterback whisperer, and a lot of the guys on the defensive side of the ball want to win the game kind of a certain way, right? I mean, they mm-hmm. think it beats fourteen to thirteen every week, you know, um, <laughs> they'd probably take that. So it's an interesting way the team is built with Zimmer being, um, you know, the head coach. Uh, and then in a division two where you've got a you know you might have to outscore Aaron Rodgers or even Stafford on his best day, you know, can move move it up and down the field. So uh, it is. Minnesota is just like a source of, it's just a fascinating team. It's really fascinating. Well, it, yeah, it definitely is. And that's why people should give us the five-star rating when they download the show on iTunes, I think. Uh, uh, <laughs> Mike, Mike, before I let you go, how do you think this digs things plays out? Because given my best guess, I would say the, the guy's got to be here. I mean, you look at his contract and his age, there's absolutely no reason for the Vikings to try and move a player like that who's so good on such a favorable deal. And I just don't see any leverage on his part. Like, how how would he get out of town aside from saying, I'm just not going to play at all for you? I, I think he just has to kind of gut it out. I do, too, and I think the tide should turn. You know, I think they're going to have some better days. You know, you play the Bears every week on the road, it's not going to be fun. Mm-hmm. But they should have some success. I agree. I think they did a nice job of not, you know, being wishy-washy. I mean, they supposedly put those fines down, and he showed up. And maybe cooler heads prevailed a little bit for him. You know, I think he's a good player. Um, doesn't seem like there's a history of him being a bad teammate or anything we've heard of. You know, I think you just you get emotional, right? I mean, yep. it means it means a lot to these guys, and as receivers in particular. Um, I've been covering the league for 20 years. They're looking at the box score after the game. It's just the nature of the position. You know, <laughs> yeah. they, they all yep. want to be an important part of it, and when they're not. Um, it's hard to hide your emotions, especially in this day and age when everything's so raw and exposed in social media and, and uh, you can't hide it, hide from it, you know. So um, I would hope that would blow over for their, from their standpoint. It should. He should be on the team. They shouldn't be getting rid of good players that can help them win. They should be trying to find ways to win with their players. And um, It's a long season, so if they can ride this out, you know, it'd be, it's a big win. It's a big game this weekend if they can win against Philly. I think, you know, you start to feel better. You've got a couple in a row, and um, you don't have to read too much into each week. You know, you can't live right. and die every week. Yeah, and it feels like this team does a lot because of sort of the narrative with Cousins, how much they paid for him, the winning window, which I think everyone feels like is slipping away, the expectations that were set. And I've been writing about it since I don't know when. I mean, even when they hired Kevin Stefanski, there was like a a very tense press conference, which normally when someone becomes an offensive coordinator, it's like, hooray, I'm the offensive coordinator. I'm so happy to be here. And yet it was a very sort of awkward moment there. And I think that sort of speaks to the tone that's been set around this team that everybody knows if they come up short, that there could be a lot different in the future. Yeah, absolutely. The ex- expectations are high for all the things that they've done. And um, it's, you know, like I said, I think Zimmer also sets a, I don't know about a volatile tone, but there's an edge, right? There's absolutely. And then there's, there's an edge to the whole uh, building probably. And, and all those circumstances make it even more so. And by the way, it's a tough division. So um, great drama, great theater. 
Mike Sando, uh, you have been for a long time one of my favorite writers on ESPN, now The Athletic, and uh, you do must-read stuff. You've got two things to, to look at. The one from Monday on, on Kirk Cousins, your pick six, and then a really cool piece about the number one wide receivers. Who are the NFL's true number one wide receivers? Both of those at The Athletic. Great to have you, Mike. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. And you can follow Mike at uh, Sando. NFL, Mike Sando, one of uh, one of the guys that I've read for quite some time. So um, interesting. Uh, let's uh, before let's see what time we got here. Uh, a couple minutes before we have George Shahuri on. I just want to say that it's interesting to me that Mike Sando's feeling is, and he's a guy that has a lot of connections and talks to a lot of people around the league. Is that it's sort of all starting with the head coach of the team, and I. It's hard to disagree with that. It's hard to disagree with the notion that uh, Zimmer has set sort of an inconsistent tone throughout his time there. And there's also something to having the same head coach for a really long time that even the best coaches, even Bill Walsh, if you watch his a Football Life or you read his book, you see how tumultuous it was at times with Bill Walsh and managing his relationships because you're there for a long time and it's a very tense situation and coaches usually get fired in two or three years. And so when you've been there for five years with Mike Zimmer and you're saying, well, wait, you're you're being a hypocrite. You're not handling this the same way you did with that. You're not handling Kirk the way you did Keenum. You're not handling me the way you did them. Why are you giving a pass to this offensive coordinator for struggling in Chicago, but not the other offensive coordinator? You know, these things sort of build on themselves. And it really does speak to the relevance and success of Zimmer's era in Minnesota that there is this amount of sort of tension and everybody kind of looking around saying we should be able to take this to the next level. How much is it made worse that he's because of his age and how long he's been in the NFL and where he has it is at in his career that he wants everything to be perfect because of where he's at. And he knows this is probably his one and only shot of being a head coach just because of where he's at in his career. I definitely think that that's true in terms of the attitude he has, um, sort of how he gets really upset as the season mm-hmm. goes along and things don't go his way and handling the ups and downs of the season is that he's always got that floating over his head. This is probably the last head coaching job I'm ever going to have mm-hmm. or the only head coaching job I'm ever going to have, so I want to win right now. I also think part of it, too, in terms of the criticisms that have come his way this year about wanting to run the football and things like that, I think some of it is a little bit because of his age. I mean, a lot of coaches say stuff like this, and I think everyone wants to have a successful running game. Um, but he has said before that it's a bit of a misnomer, that he wants to have an explosive passing game, but he also doesn't want to have Cousins fumbling all the time and turning the ball over. And so it sort of goes back to, well, there was a quarterback that Mike Zimmer loved, and he actually really got along super well with Sam Bradford. I don't think it's all quarterbacks that he's struggled with. Um, let's talk with George Shahuri next. Get his take on Vikings-Eagles. And uh, he does the PFF forecast, forecast podcast with uh, Eric Eager. So we'll discuss. I know I just played a SpongeBob meme by accident on my computer. Did that come over the air? Yes. Yes, uh, it did. Okay. Well, <laughs> SpongeBob's great. We'll take a break. We'll be right back here on Purple Daily. <laughs>
join Dan Terrar, Callum Williams, Kendra Day St. Aubin, Jamie Watson, myself on Sunday, October 20th for Minnesota United playoff action as they host the LA Galaxy in the first round of the 2019 MLS Cup playoffs from Allianz Field. Pre-game at 7 p.m. with kickoff at 7.30 on Score North on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. Now, back to Purple Daily. All right, we are back here. Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, Jonathan Harrison producing. If you missed any of the show, our conversation with Sage Rosenfels. Anytime you could get into Rodney Pete's career, that means you need to go back and download it and uh, listen on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, give it a rating, do all that good stuff so more people can find Purple Daily. Now we bring in for our weekly PFF guest of the PFF Forecast podcast, George Shahuri. What's up, George? How are you? Caller, what's up, my man? It's been uh, too long. Uh, well, sort of. I mean, we didn't actually meet in person when I went to the offices. You decided that was the time for you to be away. So I guess it's been a while, but we're really meeting in the same way we did before. Yeah, California calls in the middle of summer, so <laughs> I had to make it happen. But yeah. uh, Eric is kind enough to to allow me to step in on, onto his turf a little bit and talk, uh, <laughs> talk with you. So nice. Okay, so while we know how Eric feels about Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings, um, uh, he often tries to hold his tongue sometimes when he does uh, appearances and not try to sound like um, you know he's rooting for the Vikings, but I think secretly he is. <laughs> but, uh, but George, what, what has been your take here? Three wins against bad teams, two losses against good teams. Now they've got another good team coming to town in Philadelphia. What is your feeling on this Vikings team? I thought you summed it up pretty well. I mean, we talk about the Vikings uh, pretty much every week, and what we keep coming up with is, well, if it's a really bad team, we're pretty confident that defense and you know what the offense can give you is good enough to win. And if it's a team that does actually have some teeth to it, it's going to be kind of rough. And I, I mean, I really think a huge part of that is just if you want to be elite in the NFL today – you have to have an elite passing offense, and they just they just don't, right? They're not um, leveraging the best weapons that they have on the field enough. I, I looked at um, Diggs and Thielen through five games last year, and both of them have uh, less than half the, the number of targets that they had last season. So, like, you're, you're just – you're probably not going to beat good teams if your two best players are not touching the ball as much as they uh, they have in the past. So how should that distribution be, George? Because I know that uh, you guys have some turbo snark, as we call it around here, about running backs. But I, I would say when you give Delvin Cook the football and he's averaging six yards a carry and nine yards a catch, and he is uh, among the few guys I would call special out of the backfield. So I understand why they would want to center the offense around someone who's very special, but at the same time it's just not very 2019 to do so and when you have these other elite players at their position you can't ignore them but what what should the balance be there no down cook's amazing and i i think the way that i always try to put it to people is just because something is impressive doesn't make it you know necessarily more valuable so like if i just offered you eight dollars or five dollars you'd take eight dollars every time right but if I got the $5 in some Herculean way, <laughs> as opposed to just having tons of money and being able to hand you a dollar, like, you know, one is more impressive potentially, but it doesn't make it more valuable. And that's exactly the, the Dalvin Cook versus throwing the ball situation, right? They're averaging about five yards per run play, but they're averaging about eight yards per pass play. And if you run play action, they're actually even better. And yet 
the Vikings are the team with the biggest uh, difference between the amount that they run the ball and the amount that they actually run play action. Hmm. So they're running the ball more than any other team, but they're running play action, you know, not nearly uh, enough to like take advantage of the so-called establishing the run idea, which I, I think is really interesting. The, the Chiefs are actually an example of the, they're the only team in the NFL that is running play action more than they're running the ball hmm. in the first half of games. And obviously they have a great quarterback, but I think that speaks to, look, you don't have to run the ball a million times to be able to take advantage of the passing game, especially when you have receivers that can get open like the Vikings do. So something that's been interesting for me to watch on the, you know, going through and reviewing the game tape and things like that is looking at how teams have played against the play action with the Vikings. I mean, the, the Packers, they basically said, all right, you can run. You Go ahead. You run to that side. We're going to send Preston Smith straight up the field. So when you bootleg, uh, he's right there waiting for you. And the Vikings didn't have very many answers for that in that Green Bay game. Have you seen teams on defense respond differently to the play actions and bootlegs and things like that? Because I, I know that the Vikings have had great success against the Giants, who were a disaster, and, and uh, the Raiders, who don't have a great defense. Um, but against the good teams, it seems like those play actions are not doing the same things to their defense as they've done to some of the bad teams. Well, smart teams would be wise to play the pass, right? If you know you are a good team on offense, then the only thing that can beat you is a team throwing the ball at you. So, you know, what the Bears did last year and honestly have continued to do a lot of this year is to say, hey, we'll, we'll stop the run on the way, you know, if you happen to run the ball, but we really care about the pass and that isn't something that the Rams have had to deal with as well right they run a lot of that um you know off of the outside zone look a lot of those play action uh plays and that that goes horizontally right so if you attack those edges you have to adjust I think that's something that you just have to adjust to right run more of the vertical play action run more quick game I I think that's something you know Kirk is holding onto the ball there are three quarterbacks they're holding onto the ball on average more than three seconds it's Josh Allen, Deshaun Watson, and Kirk Cousins. I'll give you a, you know, a guess on which one is a little unlike the other. Right? <laughs> right, Get the yeah. ball out quickly. Um, you know, the play-action game tends to be a little longer developing, and it, you know, if you, you, know, you can take advantage of that kind of like extra you know, couple of ticks on the clock to, to get the ball out. But you, know, you obviously want to mix it up and be multiple uh, because I think you're totally right. The defenses that are smart in this league – are playing the pass on on basically every down. No, I think you make a great point about Cousins getting rid of the ball quicker. And this week against Philadelphia, they have a defensive line that is absolutely terrific. The Vikings offensive line, I would not describe as absolutely terrific, especially on the interior where, I mean, Garrett Bradbury and Pat Elfline facing Fletcher Cox is a scary proposition for the Minnesota Vikings. I think that if they did a complete turn and said, you know what, we've been going under center, we've been running these rollouts and bootlegs, but this week, Right off the bat, the scripted plays, we're going to go shotgun, get the ball out quick, and throw it to Thielen and Diggs a bunch of times. I think that's a better strategy than trying to go with, hey, we're going to run Delvin Cook right into these monsters up front and then try to bootleg off that where they're probably going to blow it up anyway. Well, here's what you have to avoid. You have to avoid the third and medium third and long Mm -hmm. because there you have to wait for your receivers to get downfield a little bit, and that gives that – that defensive line, the chance to make up for the fact that, hey, the Eagles aren't great in coverage. They're not terrific on the back end. And if you can win quickly, 
you can take advantage of that, right? But you can win quickly best on early downs. So you don't want to hemorrhage, you know, too much of those opportunities by running the ball where you're gaining, you know, on average three fewer yards per play. And you want to take advantage of the fact that, hey, Kirk Cousins, he's not Tom Brady. He's not Carson Wentz. You know, you're not expecting him to make magic on third down. And, well, maybe you're paying him like it, but you shouldn't be (laughs) expecting him to make magic happen every third down like Russell Wilson does in Seattle, for example. So on first and second down, take advantage of the fact that it's harder for defenses to defend the pass, that you have more options as far as running the quick pass. And when you then get in short yardage situation, take advantage of the fact that Dalvin Cook is – absolutely elite. You know, maybe this side of Christian McCaffrey has been the best running back in the NFL so far, and that's when you should leverage him, right? But don't leverage him in a way that then puts Kirk Cousins and that offense at a huge disadvantage. Yeah, and also use him after you have established the pass. Why does no one ever say establish the pass? Last week against the Giants is a great example. They came out with their scripted plays, showed the Giants that they could throw the ball a little bit, and then it seemed like they had to back off and allowed all sorts of space for Delvin Cook. And I, I think that's the way it should really work as opposed to the other way around. But no one has kind of let Mike Zimmer know that. Um, now, George, I, I want to know what you think of this game. I, I mean, you guys go through on your podcast, which is great, the PFF Forecast Podcast, and you look at every, you. every game. And, well, your parts are great. Um, so you look at every game and you, you break it down and you talk about the Vegas lines and who you think is going to win in which way. Um, what are you guys going to say about this one on the PFF forecast? Well, I'll, I'll let you guys know that every Wednesday afternoon, one of the joys of my week is when Eric and I sit down and try and hammer out, you know, what, like, what picks do we really like? We do that every Wednesday afternoon. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of these games where, I, I feel like the conversation is going to be something around, hey, the Eagles are a good team or are they a bad team? They're a good team, right? What have we seen the Vikings do against good teams? Well, so far, it's not show up. And I, it's hard for me to feel any other way just given the disparity at, at quarterback, right? I mean, Carson Wentz is a top-five quarterback, and Kirk Cousins has been anything but um, this season. And I think everything else is secondary uh, now, I will say this, right? The Vikings defense plays, um, you know, as well as any defense out there. They're at home, so they have that advantage. That might be the way they, they keep it close. Um, you know, but, uh, but in the end, I think it probably comes down to which quarterback can make more plays. And hey, I'd, I'd have to take Carson Wentz there. Yeah. And, um, you know, this team has been great at home, but also had its moments at home, like last year, week 17, where they let the Bears offense do enough. <laughs> Um, to beat them. So it's not just a lock-dead guarantee just because they're at home that that's going to happen. Um, George, before I let you go, I want to ask you about a few teams around the league here. I know you pay uh, close attention to the San Francisco 49ers. And, uh, I mean, what they did to Cleveland the other night was just flat-out impressive, and I don't think anybody in the league is doing it better than Kyle Shanahan is right now. But the defensive side of the 49ers, my goodness. I mean, they, they got after the passer, and Bosa looks like he's legit right away. I think not only could they have one of the better offenses in the league, but defensively that they could be the best defense in the NFL aside from New England. Wow. I, I like your optimism. I like the optimism. Um, I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit on the Niners. You are correct that, that I may or may not already have invested in, in tickets to Miami and an Airbnb. <laughs> and, um, you know, Brady Garoppolo, the Super Bowl is going to be great. But um, defense is just, something that is not 
nearly as consistent from week to week or from season to season mm-hmm. um, as far as, you know, like, hey, if I'm thinking about offense or defense, which one is more likely to repeat itself over time? Well, it's the offensive side of the ball. And, um, you know, the, the Niners defense certainly has plenty of guys that can make plays. The tough thing, you know, with defense going from week to week is injuries happen and you have one guy get injured in the secondary and all of a sudden you're thin there. And then it's also who have you played? And I would argue that that Browns team was in one of the tougher spots that you'll find all season, right? They just had a huge kitchen sink, pardon my pun, game um, against the Ravens that they won, whereas the Niners were coming off this 15 days rest and playing at home. Um, and so I thought it was it was it would have been worrisome if the Niners hadn't dominated that game, to be perfectly honest with you. So as great of a start as it is, and uh, as bullish as I am on on this team, you know, if they stay healthy. Um, you know, Garoppolo's got to play a little bit better, and uh, and the defense is going to have to actually show up against teams that are that are above average. Okay, who's the fakest good team in the NFL? Uh, well, I would never do that uh, to my Niners. I would never do that to my Niners. I, I will say, uh, I will say, it's the Buffalo Bills right now, um, and the reason for that is that um, their bottom five and expected points added per pass play. So essentially measuring how much closer to scoring do you get uh, on every on every passing play. And are, passing is what wins in wait, the are NFL. You, are you saying and, that drafting a quarterback who can't throw accurately at Wyoming was a bad idea? I, uh, I've been pulling for Josh Allen to, to figure it out, right? I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's not the most accurate guy in the world, and that certainly doesn't help when you're trying to matriculate the ball downfield. Um, so I, I'll say they're the fakest good team. I do... I do think as far as defenses go and, you know, as inconsistent as they are, they do have a very good one and they, yeah. they shut down obviously Tom Brady. Um, but they just, aside from the Patriots, don't really have to play anyone. So they'll probably end up winning a lot of games. Um, and then be a team in the playoffs that, uh, I may or may not look forward to being, uh, on the other side of. Yeah. No, right. I mean, if you play in the AFC East, the two zero and four teams, and I don't think the Jets are getting a whole lot better. So I mean, right off the bat, no. and that's the thing with the Bills, though their wins so far. Uh, Tennessee misses a bunch of field goals. You have Cincinnati, who they barely beat. The Jets, who they barely right. beat. The Giants, who at the time were playing Eli Manning and also have an abysmal defense. I mean, they've got the easiest four wins that you could possibly get. So uh, I, I could see a case for that, um, George. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, it, I mean, really, like you couldn't have just handed to them any easier aside from the one Patriots game, and Josh Allen kept throwing it to the Patriots. So, <laughs> I mean, his that's the thing about him is like it wasn't just that he was inaccurate. He makes really senseless decisions sometimes. He has uh, almost like where Cousins could be too conservative and then he holds onto the ball and fumbles it. Allen could be like, wee, I could do anything, right? And <laughs> just fling it 30 yeah. yards down the field for no reason. It's like they, they both uh, hold on the ball about the same time and do so for the exact opposite reason. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, George Shahuri at PFF underscore George uh, just tweets constantly, cannot stop him on Twitter. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm joking there. Uh, but does the PFF forecast, it's absolutely fantastic. And next time when I go to Cincinnati, you will be there, correct? I'll be I'll be forcing skyline chili down your throat. <laughs> I didn't try it while I was there. You said you said don't do that, right? Right. That's the one rule that you must not 
try the Skyline Chili because you may not make it out of Cincinnati if you do. Okay, all right. Now, actually, you, one of the great things you guys do on the podcast is tell stories from the Y and Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And boy, can I relate to that after playing uh, rec league basketball this year. Did I mention on the podcast, I don't know if it had happened yet, that uh, a guy got really upset with me being a little physical on a rebound? I mean, these games matter, George. And uh, right. he, he used a word that we just don't use in society anymore. And I was like... Dude, it's rec league. Like what? What? What are you doing, man? That's from like Eminem songs in 1998. I I can't stress enough how hilarious um, it is to observe people in in the gym. Absolutely <laughs> amazing. And basketball court is one of those. I've been playing you know pickup basketball since I was a kid, and I, I just have always thought it was so funny. Um, that the arguments tend to be like the most physical activity that half the people get uh, <laughs> when they actually step on the court. But if you're going to go down low and, and, you know, our buddy Eric obviously has, you know, a little height and a little weight on me. Yeah. yeah. If you're going to go down low, you've got to, you got to want the physicality. If you don't want the physicality, <laughs> then shoot three, which is what I do. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. If you're gonna be if you're gonna be down there, especially you know this particular gentleman was a little smaller than me, so I said, "All right, well, get out of the way. I'm getting this rebound." Um, I, I think it's been my theory, George, that you find out who people really are when you get them on the court. I'm with you there. So next time you're here, we'll we'll have to actually play some basketball. All right, sounds good. Thanks for your time, George. Anytime, guys. Have a good one. George Shahuri, PFF uh, Forecast Podcast. And want to remind you that um, if you go to pff.com right now, they have a promo code radio. You just type in under promo code radio, 25% off your elite subscription today. So go do that, pff.com. All right, let's take a break. We'll come right back. And uh, I got to say, something we addressed yesterday with Alex Boone took a very weird turn involving Richard Sherman and Baker Mayfield. And uh, also, Mike Tomlin did not exactly deny that the Washington Football Club might be interested in him. So let's talk about those two things before we wrap up here. Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up with at uh, 4 here on Score North. Jonathan here with the Score North download that's brought to you by the 2020 Choice Bank Minnesota Golf Show. You can join Dan Terrar, Callum Williams, Kendra Day St. Aubin, Jamie Watson, and myself on Sunday, October 20th for Minnesota United Minnesota United playoff action as they host the LA Galaxy in the first round of the 2019 MLS Cup playoffs from Allianz Field. Pre-game at 7 p.m. with kickoff at 7.30 on Score North on 1500, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. And as you heard caller tease before the break, Mike Tomlin was linked with the Open Washington head coaching job, and he was asked about it at his press conference yesterday, and he didn't exactly deny having interest in it, but he also didn't say much about it either. Guys, I'm the, I'm the, court, I'm the head coach of a 1-4 football team that's going on the road to play a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback with my third quarterback. You think I'm worried about anything this week other than that? Anyone else? All right. Thank you. Well, I guess uh, that's his thoughts on his team, who's not very good right now, and going on the road to San- or Los Angeles to play the Chargers. Not going to be a fun time for the Steelers, and he's not linking himself with that Washington gig, but he's also not not linking himself. That's been your score note download. Now back to Purple Daily. I got a few tweets about pickup basketball and how it shows you exactly who people are. Yeah. I mean, it really does. There's 
the people who call touch fouls. Ivan on Twitter brings that up. A great point. You know, if you if you're playing with somebody and it's pickup basketball, and they're like, "Oh, foul!" And you go to the basket. You're like, really? "Come on, really, bro? That's Stop weak." This. You have chuckers, selfish people like the George Costanza thing. They addressed that on on Seinfeld, where they were like, "George, you're you're a chucker, man." And he's like, "What? What do you mean? Like every time you get the ball, you just heave it up toward the basket." And those people are the worst. And then you have the over-aggressive people who are out there trying to play pickup basketball to get a little something off their chest, apparently, who will get <laughs> way over-upset about it. So what are you when you play? Um, well, see, I, re- like, I really like basketball. So mm-hmm. I try to play a technically sound game out there. I mean, I, I, try, work out for I try to play usually pretty well. I mean, okay. our, our rec league team with me and Danny and uh, Dane Mizutani from the Pioneer Press a couple other guys, like we played a very much like team oriented game. We passed the ball well, we mm-hmm. rebounded, we played hard. I, I really liked playing for our team because we played hard. So I always tried to, you, of course, you look to score first because it's, you know, rec league. So you've got the ball, bring it up the court. Okay, if there's an opportunity to score, I'm going to take it. But if not, then I'm going to just try and distribute it. We set picks, things like that. We tried to play the real game. And most of the teams in this league did. So there's kind of a difference between rec league, where you have a lot of guys who played, you know, D three or high school or something like that, or you know, community college. They're they're good, but they're not like great players or anything. And they're playing the real game. And then you have pickup, where it's just every man for himself. Who knows? And so I usually try to play like the like a technically sound game. I usually hang out in the three point line, try to look for shots out there, like George. But you have some people who just get out of control. And like he said, they end up arguing with each other. People who fight with each other over, that was a foul, it wasn't a foul, that's a travel. Who cares if it was a travel, man? This isn't for money. My gosh. All right, anyway, let me talk about the Mike Tomlin thing. I mean, if Mike Tomlin's going to get fired anyway, you might as well take another head coaching job. Right. Even though it's the worst organization in football, the thing about the Washington football squad is that they have good players. That's why it's so hilarious that they're this bad and that they started Case Keenum instead of Dwayne Haskins. And I know, you know, Dwayne Haskins probably has some issues with reading defenses and things mm-hmm. like that because he's a rookie. But I mean, you're starting a guy who's a journeyman backup who didn't have much of a shot. And even then, their offense did some things uh, early on in the season. They just lost the games, but they've got talent there with Pittsburgh. I mean, if you're Mike Tomlin, that's a tough decision. Pittsburgh's a way classier organization mm-hmm. who has consistently been great through their entire history, has great ownership, all that stuff. But you got Ben getting older. I don't know if Mason Rudolph is any to- sort of real starting quarterback. I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster clearly not a number one wide receiver. I think that's pretty obvious that he's not Antonio Brown. He can talk all he wants, but and Antonio Brown is a psycho. But he's really helpful for but, my score on a touchdown league team. Who's that? Juju Smith. Oh, has he been good for your team? No, he's been awful. Oh, he's been awful for your team. I didn't know how many touchdowns he has, but he's He's clearly not that number one wide receiver who's going to dominate. If Roethlisberger's going to come back, then you're like, okay, well, you're super old now and coming off of a a major injury. How much can we really expect from you? Even though his game had been fading to begin with, they have good players, but they've lost a lot of talent. Their defense has some talent with Minka Fitzpatrick getting him, but you traded away a first-round pick. I don't know. I mean, it's not a great situation for Tomlin, and he's already kind of on the outs to begin with. Mm -hmm. So if Washington did want him, if you're him and you're not looking at the logos, because that's what would be the big difference here, the logos. I mean, one is, uh, like uh, Sage said, a garbage 
Vale on yeah. fire. And the other one is like one of the great logos in sports history. If you're not looking at those and you just look at the roster and direction, young quarterback, good good talent. Their uh, rookie receiver's pretty good. I, you know, some good defensive players that they can build around, some good offensive linemen they can build around. I don't know. It seems like Washington, especially since you'd start from day one and you'd have time to continue to build right. with it, with the young quarterback, it it would, without looking at the owners, seem like a good situation for Mike Tomlin. Say you're a you're a first time head coach and you're getting these opportunities and you're giving you're given the opportunity to take the Steelers job or the Washington job as currently uh, built right now. Which one are you taking based on just like what you have in front of you with the Steelers, who you know they're kind of coming down the end of this arc that they've had for the past twenty years. And you know there's going to be some rebuilding in there, but you know the owners are going to let you rebuild because they're owners that kind of let the coaches stay around for 15 to 20 years. If, Whereas Washington, you'll have you you're pretty destined to have success right away based off the roster. If it was a new if it was a new job, if it wasn't Mike Tomlin, if yeah. it was just Lincoln Riley, for example, mm-hmm. then I'm taking Pittsburgh all day long. I don't care what the talent level is. I care 100 percent about the ownership, how they treat people. I mean, think about. How many coaches the Pittsburgh Steelers have had in their history? Only it's been four. four, a couple. Yeah, I mean, Bill Cowher was allowed to work through some ups and downs. Mike Tomlin has been allowed to work through some ups and downs, and he's gotten a lot of rope from this team that, that they've allowed him to continue to, you know, kind of reinvent that team and come back and be, you know, pretty, um, pretty consistently supportive mm-hmm. of him no matter what through his era there. And uh, with Washington, you just you just have no idea. Like yeah. you could just do one thing that goes against what Daniel Snyder, who knows nothing about football, clearly wants you nothing to about do. being a leader. Right. Of course not. And then he just wants you to snap his fingers and do whatever he wants. Yeah. And it's amazing, actually, that Jay Gruden lasted as long as he did, because that usually doesn't happen um, very often. So, uh, I mean, I would easily take Pittsburgh, even though I don't love this, the situation there without any answer at quarterback or a first round pick, which I like Minka Fitzpatrick a lot. But <laughs> maybe not a first round pick a lot. I mean, you've got to really believe in Mason Rudolph, and I don't know yeah. how you could when you drafted him in the third round. Um, so that I I would almost always pick based on the quarterback because you can fix anything else. So these other things that come up, although I would take Miami a hundred percent because you're going to draft the number one quarterback. Yeah. Any of these other jobs that could potentially come up as we go forward here, I don't know. I, I don't think any of them would be better than Pittsburgh just based on their organization and. I mean, we talked about this almost a little bit this week with the Yankees and Twins, things like that. Now, I don't think the Twins have a bad organization, but the Yankees, for a reason, are the Yankees. That's kind of how the Steelers are for the NFL. So even when the Yankees were down a couple of years ago, you knew they would be back pretty quick. Um, just to end the show, Richard Sherman, of all the things you're going to not tell the truth about in the world, right? why would you lie about something that we could find on tape, which is Baker Mayfield... Actually, slapping your hand. He, he didn't give you a hearty handshake. He didn't say, "Great to see you, Richie." But right. he, but he did give you, he did give you the hand slap. So Alex said, "Hey, if he didn't, that was a really bad look for Baker Mayfield." Now it turns into a really bad look for Richard Sherman. Why would you do that? I don't know. That was, seems weird. Then he said, "Well, he didn't really give me enough of a handshake." Oh, come on, bro. God. Come on, man. All right, um, Peak NFL season next uh, tomorrow. Uh, we will talk with Alex Boone. We'll probably address that a little bit more. And uh, we'll lead you up to this game with Philly. It turns out to be a very, very big one for the Minnesota Vikings. Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up next here on Score North.
I just I caught what you said on uh, Kurt's radio show slash podcast or yeah. whatever it is, and I was just curious to, to dig in that with you a little more about yeah. um, learning the playbook and things like that. Like, what, what was your process when when you got here in terms of getting into the complexities of, of an NFL playbook? Um, yeah, so coming in, I I, I knew that was going to be the biggest thing. Um, and then I think it helped that this was a very similar offense to my college offense, um, just a lot more terminology. And that, that was a given coming in the NFL. You knew that was going to happen. Um, so it was just a matter of um, looking at some of the similarities, understanding those, and then adding on to the new terminology that they had here mm-hmm. and things like that. And, then, like I said before, just studying hours on end at night. Right. That was, that was basically it. So not only just is it complex sort of what you need to understand, but also the defenses are more complex here. What was yeah. the biggest difference in terms of the uh, the defenses in the NFL to the college? I think just uh, all the different ways DBs can line up and things like that. I mean, at the end of the day, it's still defense. You're still going to play two high safeties, single high safeties, Mm -hmm. um, but it's like, where is the safety going to roll down to? Which flat? Or something like that. Or are they going to roll the corner to a two high Mm -hmm. and roll the safety down to the flat and just like invert and things like that. So, um, at the end of the day, it's just defense. You can't really change it up. Mm -hmm. Um, You can just um, make it a little more complex. Yeah, And and how tough are those reads? Because I've talked to Stefan before about this just like sometimes when you take off you're not sure where you're going oh yeah you know is that different uh yeah you know it's it's definitely tough i mean they wouldn't do it if it wasn't making it the game a little harder (laughs) right um but at at the end of the day i think you just have to know your job so well that you can go out there and then start reading defenses Mm -hmm. because if you don't know your job well enough then you can't understand what you're doing and what the defense is doing so that's that's really why I, I harp so much on knowing the playbook and knowing your job and knowing right everybody else's job on the offense right so you can understand what the defense is going to do have you always been that way have you always kind of been a nerd for the game uh I, yeah I, I know delvin called himself that, that yeah you know i would say i would say i've definitely always been that way just because um obviously i have the athletic talent um but I know this is one of my bigger strengths, mm-hmm. you know, um, sure. just knowing where to be and where Kirk wants me to be and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's definitely what separates me from some others. Who, yeah, know. for sure. Um, Stefan, same way. I mean, fifth round pick who became a star in the league. Uh, yeah. what, what is your relationship with him? I know he's one of the smarter guys out there. So how, how much he just said that he talks to you on a, on a daily basis. Yeah, so. I mean, we, we talk a lot. He jokes around, you know, he's a goofy dude. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just... Uh, Coming in and gaining a relationship with a vet like that, you know, it's it's good. It, it makes you um, feel like you're wanted in this offense and wanted to be on this team. So yeah, sure. I think building relationships with teammates is a huge thing, and especially guys mm-hmm. in your room. So that's it's just been fun getting to know Adam and Diggs and mm-hmm. Quan and all the, all those dudes. What's your um, what's your process like on a weekly basis now to prepare, like to actually go in, you know, to learn the game plan, everything like that? Like, what's that like, kind of? here and away from the, the field um, away from the yeah you know it's just going over a lot of plays um, going over scripts the day before you know we we know what plays we're going to run the next day mm-hmm. um, going over that rewriting plays out you know it's just just drawing them up and mm-hmm. making sure I understand them if I if I don't know exactly what I'm doing on one play when I read it mm-hmm. then I'm going to rewrite it down and just right get to know them, things yeah like that. Um, one last thing. He, he mentioned, Stefan, just like shutting out distractions. Things. I'm sure when you're drafted, it's very exciting for your family and all that sort of stuff, but you gotta, you got to kind of hone in focus. Was it, 
is what was that like for you, you know, kind of getting here and, and blocking everything else out? Uh, I think I did that really well um, coming in um, because it's coming in as a rookie or a later round pick, you know, there's definitely that that, t- that thing in the back of your head saying, oh, my God, like, am I going to be cut today? Am <laughs> right. I going to be cut tomorrow? You know? Sure. But yeah. I think I, I really didn't focus on that because mm-hmm. once you just focus on going out there and playing football and not worrying about whether you're going to make mistakes, whether you're going to get cut the next day, mm-hmm. then you can just play. I mean, yeah. that's, that's really what I focus on, just day to day. Like, I need to get my job done today. Mm-hmm. Then I need to come in the next day, get my job done there. For sure. You enjoy mm-hmm. Minnesota? Yeah, I like it a lot so far. It's about to get cold. Yeah. It's about to get cold, <laughs> yeah. Get cold. <laughs> it gets worse, but yeah. it's nice for now. Yeah. Thanks, man. Sure, I really thank appreciate you. your help. Thanks. Venture X from Capital One is the travel card for people always asking, Where next? You earn 10x miles on hotels and rental cars and 5x miles on flights booked through Capital One Travel and 2x miles on everything else you buy with Venture X. Plus, receive premium travel benefits like access to over 1,300 airport lounges. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. At the Home Depot, we have the tools for you to give the gift of a smarter home with savings on top brands like the Google Hub, a command center for your smart devices that raises the IQ of your entire home. Or the Nest Learning Thermostat that helps you conserve energy and save on your bill. And if you don't know what to get, gift cards are a smart gift no matter what they get. So this year, gift smarter with savings on tools to make your holiday magic. The Home Depot. How doers get more done.